Enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Monica, and I will be your host today. Today, we are joined by Dan, who hosts the Doctor Who podcast called Type 40 Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. The Temple of Geek Podcast has been around since 2012 and is hosted by a variety of geeky people who are here to celebrate the many realms of fandom. Thank you for all of our returning uh, listeners. We really appreciate you all so much. Welcome, Dan, to the Temple of Geek podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself? Hello. Well, I'm I'm another geeky person. You're talking about a variety of geeky people there. I thought that was a fantastic phrase. I'm one of them. I'm one of you. My name's Dan Hadley. I'm a oh, podcaster, writer, entertainer, illustrator, all that sort of thing. And yeah, I'm the producer and host of Type 40, which is a Doctor Who podcast on the Fandom Podcast Network. We've been going awesome. for nearly two years. And uh, yeah, that, that's about it to start off with. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Happy New Year. So how long have you been a Doctor Who fan? I've been a Doctor Who fan for, oh, here we go. How <clears throat> many years? Uh, <laughs> pretty much all of my life. And I'm in my 40s. So uh, yeah. A long, long time. I mean, you know, it's, it's. I suppose, you know, being a fan and being a viewer, you go from being a viewer, don't you, to a fan. And so I'd say, all joking apart, I became a fan in 1981. So it's still quite Wow. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm a little late to the Doctor Who fandom. I didn't actually discover Doctor Who until Matt Smith's run. And well, so. Well, listen, Monica, you, it's never too late. This is time travel. It's all. <laughs> It's anyway, <laughs> it? so right. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Doctor or a Doctor Who era? I have. I have a. I mean, my Doctor. When I say my favorite Doctor, my Doctor, my era. It's the Peter Davison era from nineteen eighty. Well, the end of eighty one when he first appeared until nineteen eighty four. So it's a shorter era than some. But yeah, it's the whole Peter Davison era. Uh, when John Nathan Turner was producing and the, the TARDIS was a little crowded. Well, it's crowded now, come to think of it. And uh, yeah, and the, the person at the helm was was a good-looking blonde. So maybe things don't change after all. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um, do, you, do you think that... So what I've noticed is that some people have like a special place in their heart for their first doctor. And that tends to be kind of like a favorite era because that's when they fell in love with Doctor Who. Do you feel like that's kind of the case with you or did you have doctors that you started with before Peter Davis? Well, I've, we talk about this quite a bit on Type 40 because I think this is a little bit of a myth. I think it's true with the, I mean, I, people, by all means, you know, uh, message message Monica, write in, respond to this across social media. If you disagree with me, if you think I'm talking rubbish, by all means, let us all know. But I believe that that is more for the general audience, that myth about the, the first, your first doctor is always your favourite. My first doctor was Tom Baker. And... Uh, yeah, I, I sort of I watched the show when he was doing it for some years, and I loved it. You know, and, and over the over the time as I grew up, obviously I went to went to, to the point where I couldn't bear to miss it. But I felt 
I think I felt, I mean, I, at that point, I had no idea that Doctor Who had been going for nearly 15 years, even then. Uh, but I didn't feel like I'd got my Doctor until I could see one arrive from the beginning, see them born, if you like. And it felt like I was, it didn't feel like I was playing catch up anymore when I when I got a box fresh Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. What's he well, talking about? I, <laughs> no, you, no, you're totally right. And I, I kind of feel that way too, where um, I have a very soft spot in my heart for Matt Smith because he was my first doctor, yeah, but he's not doctor. necessarily like my doctor, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Perfect. And I think Peter Capaldi was always kind of my doctor in that sense, but... Now Jody has arrived and it's kind of like a shared love. Like I can't choose between the two. It's like Sophie's Joy is trying to figure out who I love more. <laughs> you know, 12 or 13. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, can you tell our audience a little bit about your podcast and, yeah. you know, what it's all about? Well, it's about this quirky little British science fiction series that's been running for 56, 57, 57 years later on this year. Yeah, it's it's about all things Doctor Who. So I, you know, you start these podcasts, we all do it, don't we? I give this spiel about how it's about the series itself and it's about the merchandise, it's about the fandom. It's about Doctor Who as a thing because, you know, Doctor Who is, all joking apart, it is more than a television series you know it, it is a living breathing thing you know i mean particularly when they only make a series now every year and a half or something so it's very much about all of doctor who the past the present and the future so we we review we reminisce and we speculate about about what's to come uh the the show itself it's always fronted by me i'm afraid it's always fronted by me uh, but we get it we we've got a sort of rotating panel of people who are on pretty regularly i mean uh, i've there's uh, who's who's the most regular sarah graham who goes by the by the name of starry eyed girl all over twitter and places like that she's sort of well i've known sarah for a long time we used to run a, a doctor who page on facebook together called doctor who and company and uh, oh, yeah, cool. she's, she's podcasted before, you know, and, and done lots of things like that before. So uh, Sarah is the person that we have on most regularly, simply because she's sort of like my little sister, really. I would never want to do it without her. Uh, but um, the other people involved, I think, who's, who's the most regular? Kyle Wagner, who's the guy who set up the Fandom Podcast Network, a massive Matt Smith fan. You know, he came to the show uh, probably around the same time that you did, Monica, come to think of it. So he's a big part of it. He sort of comes in and out when he feels like it. He's bloody part-time, as I ask you. So we got him, and uh, I think the, the other one most regular is uh, Simon Horton, who is uh, a guy who's a little bit older than me, but uh, he's he's a TV, TV industry professional. He's a writer, uh, producer, and he's worked for the BBC. He was at the BBC for nearly 10 years and uh, worked as an independent as well. So he knows the TV industry inside out, and he's been a Doctor Who fan for even longer than I have. So and it's he so great take, to have that insight. I think so. I think it it, it sort of um, provides a, a a good a good balance because Sarah Sarah only came to the show in two thousand and five. You know, she had never heard really of Doctor Who until until it returned. So, uh, we got Kyle who came to it with Matt Smith. We've got Simon, who's been watching since the late 60s. And you've got me sort of in the sweet spot in the middle. And in between, you know, we invite other people on, like, like there's Adam O'Brien, who people may know because he's a big Star Wars fan, a big Star Wars podcaster. He comes in, he's Australian, so he comes in from now and again, very eccentric character, full of life, and talks about Doctor Who from down under. 
And of course, then I approach and pester people such as yourself and drag you into the TARDIS as well. And we have these conversations because you were good enough to come on, weren't you, Monica, a few months ago. And talk it about was so much fun. Thank you again for having me on your podcast. And I'm yeah, excited to have you on ours because I, I had a really pleasure. great time talking with you. It was my pleasure. And, and you know, so we do these sort of news update shows. We do all, all manner of Doctor Who talks. If somebody comes to me with an idea or something that they want to talk about or a listener there's something that they want to hear, I'm all ears. So one thing that I noticed um, when I was listening to your podcast is that you were covering, um, uh, is it Terrence Dickens? Terrence Dickens, uh, yeah. Yeah, Terrence Dickens. Um, he had just passed away, and I only knew because – I, you know, I don't watch a lot of classic who, and I don't have too much information on like yeah. classic who anything. And so on Twitter, I saw that BBC America and, and the BBC Doctor Who Twitter accounts were all, you know, kind of like sharing condolences. And then I listened to your episode and it was so interesting because it was like this new range of like classic who that I wasn't really aware of. And it was really nice to listen to you guys talk and reminisce about it because like I felt like you explained it in a way that made somebody who wasn't a big classic Who fan mm-hmm. feel like they knew what was going on. So I really appreciate that. What kind of other discussions, like for somebody new to your podcast, can they expect to hear? Oh, that's so sweet, and I'm so glad you've told me about that because this is a this is a note that we you know deliberately try and and strike. Uh, we make a point of saying that there's no gatekeeping. In Type 40, we've got some, by some people's standards, we've got some quite strong opinions, but uh, we we don't, there's, there is no sort of um, seniority about it. You know, this is why we try, try and uh, invite all kinds of people, all ages from all over the world on, because we want to hear about it all. But yeah, with the Terrence Dick stuff, we, we wanted that to be completely sort of wide open, so that pe- people who hadn't heard of him or maybe hadn't seen so many stories or only only knew one side to his career because there was more more than Doctor Who to Terence Dicks but yeah uh, obviously there's episodes like that where we, obviously it's a very sad occasion when a Doctor Who legend passes away you know it's it's fitting and, and right that the fandom sort of speaks back with with, with all the devotion and, and all the affection and all the all the attention that that uh that particular gentleman gave to the gave to the show in the first place, you know. Uh, we so the idea is we do our bit to be there for you know our fellow fans wherever they are. Uh, but yes, we we do things like that when when um, when needs must. Uh, but we also in between. Well, obviously, when such as now when we've got a whole new series that's coming out, everything sort of gets pushed to one side to cover these ten new stories. Uh, but the rest of the time. It's a big mix. So we've got, you know, we've got a list of, of subjects and topics that we can sort of uh, mill around with in certain formats. But, you know, uh, really popular ones are our um, Blu-ray review shows at the moment. We Every time there's a new Blu-ray box set come out of a whole sort of wedge of those classic stories, we invite somebody on who's got a real affinity for that particular era. You know, sometimes they work in the media. Sometimes they're uh, fans. You know, there's no, normally something we can hang it on and we just all geek out about that particular series and we talk about the music and the movies that are around at the same time. We we go deep into, say, 1975 or something like that, you know. We, we, so we do that. Uh, another thing we do is we invite people in uh, 
kind of like you've done with me today to talk about their general Doctor Who fandom, where it started, and and uh, what their sort of what their benchmarks have been in Doctor Who fandom, and and sort of what their niches are. It's a really sort of open conversation. We do those two. We talk about the spin-offs and anything else that really sort of crops up along the way. Sort of whether it's whether it's related to a current breaking story or, or sometimes it could be like the anniversary of something like so uh, this easter coming for example we're gonna shower the 11th hour with love because that'll be 10 years old you know and that was a oh, pivotal cool. story so you know that's the general that's the general sort of gist of it really so we've got ideas we've got things loosely sort of put down but you know we uh we, we try and be quite spontaneous 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 <laughs> well. sometimes we can speak english monica and you know what that's so cool um also because when it is spontaneous you can just speak from the heart or whatever's exciting or whatever's trending or you know it you know right now obviously there's a lot going on with you know we have all the new episodes for series 12 and everything so but like you said like you can even do an episode on anniversaries and things like that and that really is um I think it's the t- it's great it's a great way to run and there's a little less pressure as far as like having to plan so much and just kind of like stick to like a certain script it feels more real that way. Well yeah and we've got to have fun I think I think that um if the listener the audience knows that we're having fun and that we're engaged in what we're talking about whether it's positive or negative uh, it's if it sounds authentic uh, the listener will relate to us you know they might relate to only one of us you know they might think well I, I agree with her but I think he's talking rubbish and where does what's he talking about and what planet is she on you know I think that's how people relate to podcasts I think you know you don't have to agree with everybody that's on there but if you're coming at it from a different place and that's how we try and we try and do it really like sort of because most of us even if we're not friends when when we when they come on the show, we become quite friendly afterwards, you know, and it, absolutely, it, I, you know, it's a very, it's a bonding experience as well. And I think, and the impression I'm getting is that the, the audience, the listener, because of course people, people listen to podcasts, don't they very much on their own, you know, they, when they're doing the washing up or something like that, or in the bath or walking the dog. And so it can, it, it forms quite an intimate relationship, I think. And so if you've got, if you've got characters who at least sound like they, they've, Okay, they may not even have to like one another as long as they respect one another, and as long as somebody's there with a you know one hand on the wheel, it doesn't have to you know. I like the spontaneousness of it, so I never shut down a conversation if it's going somewhere that may amuse people or say something that I haven't heard before. Because if I haven't heard it before, the chances are that somebody listening might not have heard it before. Uh, but yeah, we do try and keep it kind of on mission if we can. <laughs> try. No, yeah, that sounds absolutely great. And I love it. And I and I agree with you about like, you know, listening to a podcast to me always felt like I was like eavesdropping on somebody's conversation. But I used to listen to podcasts a lot on my commute and driving. And sometimes I would catch myself kind of like talking to the radio and just saying, Uh wait a second, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just kind of like almost having these weird conversations Uh with myself as if I'm talking to them. So absolutely, I think you're right. And I think the success of your podcast is that, you know, you have those like, you know, you, you do have that intimacy with even the listeners, even though they're not there. And, you know, I love the not wanting to gatekeep thing because I feel like that's so important in fandom communities and things like that. 
which also brings me to to my next question is you have a Facebook community uh, as well for the podcast, right? We do. In fact, it very much started with Facebook for us. Uh, yeah, we've got a whole Facebook group. We've got a we've got a Facebook and Instagram page, which are sort of linked. But obviously, you know, you know as well as I do, that's very much like a sh- a storefront, so people can see in. You know, to <laughs> get a general idea of what's coming where. The the real sort of beating heart of it, yeah, it's, it's the Facebook group, and that that's been in existence for around four years, longer than the podcast. It was, wow. originally under, it was originally under a different name it, when Sarah and I first started. It was it was as Doctor Who and Company. We've got a page with around four thousand followers. It's not not the biggest page in the world, but you know it's a good. But it's, it's good not follow. small. <laughs> no, no, it's it's sort of, it creeps up without you noticing. And yes, yeah, so we we launched the group not long afterwards, and that's sort of ticked along really that's there's over a thousand members in that but the and again there are much much bigger doctor who communities on facebook a hell of a lot but what i found is that although facebook's changed quite a lot in the last year or so uh, when a lot of groups first started people would sort of mass add members you know (laughs) and people wouldn't would be added to a group and wouldn't even know Uh, right (laughs) we tend to let people just find us and that way we know that if they find us and they stay then they they really want to be there. And it's promoted a, a, an attitude there and a whole ambience, which I think is different to most other Facebook groups out there. I've not really come across one like it. Um, yeah, we do have our blow-ups. Of course we do. As social media, of course we do. But in general, you know, it's, it's got a reputation for a very long time as, uh, you know, and I used to wear this badge with a considerable pride, the friendliest Doctor Who group on Facebook, which you know, you know what fandom can be like. So I was quite pleased with that. That's amazing. And so, because you've been running these groups for so long, is there anything that you have learned about the Doctor Who community in general from this group? Oh, a hell of a lot. Yes, so, so, so much. I mean, I, you know, I've learned through podcasting as well. But you know, considering I've been part of this fan base as well and this community for a long time you know i first went to a, a doctor who event in the late 80s you know it's really young and yeah i used to go to local group meetings and conventions and things like that but yeah every experience that you have it's all changed so much that you've got you know a thousand other doctor who fans in 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 the palm of your hand really that you can communicate with but what it's what it's taught me i think what it's underlined is that this show and this is nothing against any other uh, fandom fan base out there this show is so unique i knew that anyway Uh, but every franchise and every fandom does tend to reflect the intellectual property and i think doctor who's is the most curious the most eccentric of all i think from the outside looking in it's probably the weirdest as well and absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and probably even 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 intimidating up to a point uh, because of the volume of Doctor Who that's been produced over the last 50 odd years, and because the people who love it, you know, we we display that quite proudly to almost scary levels. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you and I have spoken about this before, haven't we? Because I think I think because it, the crucial element, and that with that eccentricity, comes uh, seems to come with with it this yeah, creativity, an unconventional way of looking at the world and at oneself. And this creative spirit to sort of give back and to channel that in some way, even if it's just creative thinking, you know? Right. Absolutely. And one thing that I've noticed about the Doctor Who community is that they 
the show, like you said, is so eccentric, so creative, so just kind of all over the place, really. You know, it's like from the outside looking in, it's like, it's really hard to explain Doctor Who to somebody who hasn't like (laughs) seen it or just knows what's going on. But also the community, they take all that and they create so much with it. You have so many podcasts, so many fan, you know, fiction being written about Doctor Who, so much art that comes out of the Doctor Who community. And it's amazing how much inspiration Doctor Who gives people, but just how creative and wonderful the Doctor Who fandom really is. Sometimes when like the BBC, um, you know, when the Doctor Who Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts share some of the artwork that fans have done, I'm just blown away. I'm like, wow, like you're drawing exactly how I felt about this episode or whatever it is about this doctor, you know? And I just, I think you see a lot of that too in, in Dr. Who community Facebook groups. I think it's because there's, well, there's room. The good thing about it is that there is room for everybody to do this and that there is appetite and a willingness I think for all the Doctor Who fans can be a touch closed-minded and a little reactionary, and this is you know, this is universal, that there is a willingness to see the series from the eyes of others. Particularly when people first join join the fandom. I think Doctor Who fans are fascinated by people who are just getting into it and seeing what they gravitate to first, what they latch on to. Uh, but with the creative with the creative side to it, I think, yeah, you, you're right. If you come across somebody who view I think it can whether they view the series exactly as you do or, or just a moment or wildly differently, that can be fascinating. And it can make you look at something that you might be really familiar with, like a, a 10, 20, even 30-year-old episode. You can view it with new eyes almost. That, and that's fascinating too. There are so many There are so many examples. And, of course, the cultural now it's more global than ever. You know the cultural differences from all over the world are apparent as well, which is even more fascinating. That there are, in a sense, there are there are a few doorways into this series, into that mythology and the fan base. Just just a few, but every effort that we can make and every means we employ to understand one another like this, you know, we we tap into the things that that uh, unite us rather than divide us. You know, find that find that fellow feeling. And, you know, going back to social media, whilst that can, social media can undoubtedly bring out some, you know, awful character traits in people. Yeah, things like this, you can bring people, you can bring people together and lay, lay down their sort of uh, preconceived ideas or even prejudices, you know. It's so interesting that you say that, too, because um, I, I like what you said about, uh, you know, it's so fascinating to see other people's points of views, even though they don't align with your own point of view about whatever it is in the fandom. There is a um, book series called Outside In by ATB Publishing, and they have um, one for New Who and one for Classic Who, and it's... Um, essays 160 different like perspectives on classic doctor who stories by 160 different writers okay and so they have that for um classic who and they have it for new who and it's so interesting to sit there and read an essay from somebody else because they catch on to things that i would have never thought about (laughs) things that like i just i wouldn't connect it that way and so suddenly an episode that i didn't necessarily like so much becomes deeper and more meaningful to me just from hearing it from somebody else's point of view. And I know that sometimes we talk about, you know, 
maybe Twitter isn't the place to have like a conversation because we are reactionary as fans and it feels like Twitter is just where people, where you go to read people's minds and get their instant reaction to something, but it's not really like the place for like a deep conversation and, and for, for any like real conversation. I think those things happen like on podcasts like this or through reading essays or articles or things like that. I feel like that's where we can have real conversation about, about fandom. And I don't know if, um, You've experienced this in your Facebook groups, but are you able to have those kind of like deep conversations on Facebook? Yes. Yeah. And it, it didn't, tends to depend. It's like catching lightning, lightning in a bottle sometimes, obviously, because, because internationally, you know, people are either in bed or awake at different times of the day, you know, because we have got a, a international collection of fans in there too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, some some days, in fact, for some weeks, you might find that a lot of posts don't run to longer than five to ten comments, you know, and yet other times somebody will throw in something that's quite random, you think, and it will stimulate this great rolling conversation that may go off on a tangent or it may not. And, and you know, some of the comments and some of the things that people share when they feel that it is a, uh, I'm not going to use the phrase safe space, that's crass, when they feel that they're among friends, and when they feel that they are being listened to and respected and, and that there's a, a confidence there. And the things that people share is quite remarkable. It really is. And uh, obviously, we moderate the Facebook group. Um, you, you, know, you have to do that. It's only being responsible. We've got a team of admins in there who are uh, not connected to the, to the podcast. These are other Doctor Who fans who are, they won't mind me saying this, perhaps a little shyer. You, know, you have to be a bit of a show off to do this. So the people who, who are happier sort of tinkering behind the scenes and things. Uh, but yeah, we, we have these conversations that roll on and roll on. And um, we let people generally say what they what they wish to. And, uh, you know, because some groups are very heavily moderated, you know. Right. We never moderate people's opinions ever. We only ever moderate their conduct. So as long as people are speaking to one another responsibly, responsibly and respectfully, so nobody's calling each other a name, you know, all that sort of thing, anybody can say pretty much whatever they want, argue their case or or not. You know, that's that's up to them. You know, the fact is that people do use social media to get things off their chest, to blow off steam. That's not going to change. We're not going to, I'm not going to be the one to change it, certainly. That's up to Mr. Zuckerberg, I suppose, if anybody. Um, but, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is, isn't it? So, you know, this is the way I look at it. It's a, com- it's a community. That's what I've been all about this this whole time. That's what it's all been about. Um, you know, oh God, it makes that... Yeah, I've got a big gob. I like to a big mouth. Sorry, I've got, I like to talk, and I've got a bit of an ego. Of course, I have. You have to. You have to to some extent to to record yourself and put yourself out like, out there like this. But I genuinely enjoy building these communities and just seeing what seeing what happens. Sort of stepping back and just seeing what happens. The conversations, how it grows, and what people bring to it. And that's what I what I see all the time. In, in my Facebook group, certainly. You see less of it on Twitter, obviously, because the limited characters, it's very much right. a sort of train of thought thing, isn't it? Which, you know, I, I don't quite understand that so much, but, you know, each to their own. I see why, pe- I see why people prefer it, I suppose. Uh, but you can't, you know, you, you can't get to know people in the, in the same way, I don't think. I could be wrong, and, but... 
Well, this is something that I really appreciate about your podcast, because the way that you talk about the Facebook group is also the way that you kind of like moderate and run your podcast. Because when you had me on, you and I had very different views on Series 11 when I came on. And yet I still had such an enjoyable time talking to you about it. And you were very kind in the way that you were like, I can see why you like that. I can see why, why this appeals to you even though you necessarily didn't feel the same way. And I really appreciated um, that. And just, you can feel it. Like you do bring that to both your podcast and your Facebook community. So it's, I think that's really great. That's, that is good. That is good to hear. Cause that, yeah, that's very much the, the mission statement. I would never have wanted to do this or that uh, we, we, if I hadn't have thought I was capable of, of doing that. Cause like I say, it's a community. You know, if you've got a community, you've, I, I say to my my members, you know, and, and the people I have on the show, you know, it's a community. Don't don't pee in the pool. You know, everybody's got to swim in it. It's like it's like that. And, <laughs> it may, but it may That's be the disgusting. case. It may be the. <laughs> I'm British. What do you expect? It may be the case. The sad the sad fact of it is, it may be the case that Doctor Who in time does go away again. You see, and if it ever happened, we yeah. are we are we are left with one another. You see, because it happened before, and that's why we need to respect and talk to one another, listen to one another, and uh, yeah, just uh, do everybody does their does their bit really to uh, spread the spread the love. Yeah, bring out the hippie. You know, that's so interesting that you said that. I recently finished here uh, reading uh, Red, White, and Who, which is the story of the Doctor Who fandom in the United States, and. And it talks a lot about how, um, you know, when the show was off the air, these like, you know, groups of fans and people really kept the show alive by starting these little conventions and doing these like events and meetups. And they would just, you know, get together and talk about like, you know, some of the novels that would come out from it or whatever spinoff thing was happening. And it's so interesting, like, like you said, um, you know, if the show gets canceled and it has before, we're only left with each other. And so it, if you keep that community kind of like friendly and happy, it could grow on and we could even get like our next reboot in however many exactly. like, years if it ever gets canceled. That, and when I said that Doctor Who is more than just a TV show, that's that's pretty much what I'm what I'm pointing to. And during that time, you know, I've uh, I've got talking to somebody, one of the people who contributed to that that book never read it myself and i remember you mentioned it mentioned it before uh, but uh, america was a huge part of keeping the the flame burning particularly through the 90s it really was america and australia it was a group effort all over the world by doctor who fans you know to to pester everybody else really so that they didn't forget about it and they nearly did you know doctor who came back in the nick of time it really did the timing was was um i think we'd have all liked it to come back sooner but uh, you know, I'd have had it come back in 1992 if I'd. Have. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, it, the timing, in a sense, what was right, and uh, but yes, it shouldn't have taken quite so long. But it did bond people. You know, of that, obviously, of that, of that generation. I suppose if you weren't there, it might be difficult to relate to. That's why. That's why books like these are are important. You know, and and um, to that that people do read them and not as I say it's, again it's not a gatekeeping thing but just to sort of keep keep it in perspective really I'm not saying we should be thankful 
just just to have Doctor Who back for the sake of having it back. But when it was away, missing it like like that, it's it's only a TV show, and you know you do move on with your life and you find other things. I mean, my second favorite show, even to this day, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, Ooh, oh, nice! Incredible piece of TV. I mean, uh, you know, it's yeah, it's just I could just go on about that forever. But you know, so we do find other things. But uh, you know, I think there was an injustice to Doctor Who disappearing the last time, uh, and uh, and that's why the fans looked after it. We we kept it in our hearts to be reassembled at a later date, which you know happened because it it was brought back by fans. Fans, you know, people no different to you or I, Monica, really. Absolutely. And what's so interesting about that is that no other show has something like this. Star Trek has been around close to the same amount of time. And I think maybe they have something kind of close to this. Yeah. Yeah, um, But, you know, they've had more movies and they've had more things in between, like, you know, kind of larger scale things where Doctor Who has primarily been just except for the, you know, eighth Doctor movie has, which, if I'm not mistaken, flopped in theaters. But, um, you know, it's kind of just been the show. And so if it wasn't for the fans and all these other, like, little things, it wouldn't be what it's at today, I think. And because it's been running so long, fans really are super attached to it. Like, it's almost as if they feel like they own the property. Yeah, because yeah, in a sense, we do. <laughs> we do. It's like having, <laughs> you know, it, it is like having part ownership of something. And I think the BBC, you know, all, all joking apart, of course we don't own the intellectual property, uh, but but we are a, a more crucial part to it than the BBC are aware, I believe. I think Russell T. Davies, and to a lesser extent Stephen Moffat, but I think that, that they understood that. I don't know about the about the new guy, but yeah, I think the general principle is that you know you this is I don't think that fans should be pandered to, um, but uh, they should be they should be respected because we're the we're the punters and that what you were saying about Doctor Who being on the TV, this this is why there's resistance to Doctor Who go ever going back to to uh, aspirations to become some huge movie series like the MCU or or even like Harry Potter, you know, as lovely as Harry Potter is and how uh, finite that was and, and how targeted and, and how beautifully crafted it was. I think people would much rather see Doctor Who as a regular TV show that they can watch in the comfort of their own homes, even if even if it's not at the same time anymore uh, you know, with, um, with catch-up TV or whatever and streaming. And certainly everybody can sit down with a coziness about it. I think it's cozy. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that 100%. And, you know, we talked about the other, you, you mentioned the other guy, Chris Chibnall. Um, <laughs> and I tried not to listen to your other podcast because I wanted to ask you these and kind of get like okay. your, your opinion, but I do want to, to, you know, know what you thought about the, the new year's day special, the Spyfall part one and part two. Um, you know, what did you think? Uh, well, the uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I thought it was, uh, can I put this? I think it came back with a, a certain swagger. And I think it was, the good news is it's the best thing that Chris Chibnall's ever done. Not yet, since he's been in charge. I think that two-part was the best thing he's ever written for the show that they've ever produced. And uh, it was a big step up from Resolution. I feel it had a momentum about it and a swagger and moments of it 
really did feel like like Doctor Who was back, and you know things, little things like the pre-credit sequence, and uh, there was an air of whimsy which I, I really liked, and uh, I mean bringing back bringing back such a key player as the Master in that way. It's absolutely. I mean, New Year's Day isn't as big a day as Christmas Day. There's no way of not in the UK. It isn't anyway. It's, it's it is a come down to be on, on New Year's Day rather than Christmas Day. But if you're if you're going to do do something with a sort of blockbuster feel, you know, parodying Bond, you know, you could say that everybody's already done that. But every Bond parody is is a some child's first, aren't, aren't they? So you know, I thought it was a a breezy caper that that. Um, that fulfilled its end of the bargain. Well, that was part one anyway. And it led, led through, there's a lot of running around really, and it led through to a really great cliffhanger. I thought the last five minutes of oh, absolutely was fantastic. And uh, due in no small part to, I mean, Sasha Dewan, who'd been playing O up to that point, he, he was brilliant. He's brilliant in everything. You know, he's great in an adventure in space and time. He was he was solid in Iron Fist, which is a bit of a shaky show. There's no way, you know, that's right. no way that. But uh, <laughs> he was great in it. You know, everything I've seen him in has been good. He was my pick for doc, for the Doctor. You see, for uh, before Joe was Stewart, he? Yeah, oh, I've always liked him. Well, I found out that he was a Doctor Who fan, and everything I've seen him in, he's always been brilliant. And he's got this he's got this mercurial quality about him. And I mean, yeah, I mean, he was great as O, but when he flicked the switch in the character, when he turned from O to reveal his real identity, and uh, yeah, I thought that sort of maniacal quality and that contained menace was right? fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, if if casting somebody like that, so crucially, it was a glove fit actor to character i felt and lifted the piece tremendously i really agree with all of that did you have any inclination as you were watching the episode that he would be like the bad guy or somebody else or did you have any hints as you're watching uh, spyfall part one that it wasn't that oh wasn't just oh well, yeah, this is the this is the bad side to it, really. I suppose the bad side of being a fan, and uh, yeah, yeah, because I, if I think you know, there, there are the, when it comes to this spyfall story, you know, I thought part one was pretty good. I was less impressed with part two, but both parts. One thing that did frustrate me was how derivative I felt they both were. Uh, there was a lot of drawing from from stories from the past. And I did feel that I'd seen some of the steps to this dance before. Uh, the character oh, yeah. of O, for example, with his TARDIS in the, in the, in the shape of the, of the shack. It's very similar to a, a character, a Time Lord character in a, in a story during the Tom Baker era called Professor Chronotis. And halfway through this story, the story Sharda, which is, came out as an animation animation and live action hybrid about two years ago it's a long story behind Sharda, but throughout that story see they, there's this benevolent time lord who's got a tardis in the shape of a library with all these books and things like that and halfway through the story 
it's revealed that he's not who he, who you think he is. And this virtually remade that entirely, but with a massive shot of adrenaline. You know, it was, it was that, right. that done in the, in the style of the Fast and the Furious movies or something. <laughs> there, was, yeah. there was lots of things like that all the way through. But, it, you know, it, and unfortunately, I... This is the thing. I mean, I, I haven't got insiders as such, but I do know a couple of people, and I'd heard that I'd heard that Sasha Dewan had been had been cast as the master, but I didn't. I wasn't certain whether I believed it or not. Because it's one thing for, for somebody to be seen on set. People have been speculating about actors have come back as the master for years. Keely yeah, Horn, absolutely. Keely Hawes was a guest star in Time Heist, and they said, "Oh, she's going to be playing the master." Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Anthony Head. In 2006, the school reunion, everybody thought he was going to be playing the master. It happens over and over again. So I sort yeah. of took it with a pinch of salt, really. So I was surprised, but then I wasn't. I think the fact that I was so engaged, even though I was half expecting it, the fact that it still wowed me means that they really they got the right man here for that part. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting, and I talked about this in the previous episode of our podcast, was that I had, did not see it coming. And yeah. the minute Sasha Dewan came on screen, I was like, yeah, I'd, have, I'd have loved that. Is- I, I envy you. Go on, sorry, Karen. I, I, I just thought he was so charming and he was so fun. And I was like, oh, I hope he's like Osgood, right? Like, I think, I hope he's like another, yeah. you know, like Osgood who could possibly be Team Tardis, but might just kind of pop in or like a yeah. river who will like pop in and out as like a companion. And so I really was hoping he'd be like an Osgood or a river song kind of companion because he was so compelling and he was so fun and i was like oh i really like this guy he was likable wasn't he and he seemed to be having a good time sort of tagging along with them and this is that this was the good thing to create characters like that and make you like them and then do horrible things to them how but dare this they is, yeah well this is i'm going to mention it again this is the third mention of buffy the vampire slayer but this is something that joss whedon used to do all the time in buffy and angel he did it to poor fred in angel and yet they, they i see you have a type you have a storyteller type. <laughs> it look it looks that way. It looks that way. <laughs> but yeah, I was yeah. heartbroken as well. But you know, you're exhilarated at the same time, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. And I I was so shocked. And it's so funny because when I, I watched the episode um, without my kids the first time around, and then I watched it yeah. the second time with my kids. And as yeah. soon as um, you know they're doing all the trying to keep the the light monster things away Um, my son was like that dude's the bad guy and I turned around (laughs) I'm like what what do you mean he's like there's something sketchy about him he's the bad guy and I was like how could you tell like I had no clue I went in there and I was like oh the master what oh my goodness and I was so shook I was like screaming at the tv shook and he just knew it right off the bat he's like eh it's that guy and I'm like wow (laughs) They know it all, don't they? They know it all. Uh, I was just, I, I, I'm still bewildered that people like figured it out. And uh, now that you're telling me that, you know, this is kind of reminiscent of an old episode, it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, obviously people figured it out, but not me because I don't know. This is all new to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, Go on, sorry. Oh, no. So you said that you didn't like Spyfall Part 2 as much as the first one. Was there anything you did like about Spyfall Part 2 or why didn't you like it as much? I found it. I think that with the first part, because it was because all it was trying to do. And there's nothing wrong with this. This isn't a slight at all. All it was really trying to do was to give us a breezy caper and a good time and a good old run around 
on New Year's Day. So it held up its end of the bargain really, really well. But the second part, I think they tried to make it something deeper and something profound. And and in doing so, they kind of lost sight. And the, the plot was really quite ramshackle. There was a lot, a lot of conveniences in there. I felt that the two historical characters they brought into it, particularly the Noor Khan character, fascinating historical figure, uh, was really given a, a, a big disservice in that. I thought they were treated very, in a very sort of trivial way. I thought it was... I thought the Doctor's characterisation sank considerably in that. And and um, Sasha Dewan, I mean, this is the thing, you see, with casting an actor like that in, in a role that's, that fits him like, so tightly and brings out the best in him. He was so incredible in that. I've always had problems with Jodie Whittaker's performance for me in this, at the time where I would have expected her to, ideally, to step to him in the way that... Um, in the way that John Sim and David Tennant did and in the way that Michelle Gomez undoubtedly did with, with Peter Capaldi, I didn't see that at all. He just, for me, Sasha Dewan just blew her off the screen. Uh, it's like she wasn't even there. Uh, so for the good things about part two, about Spyfall, I, I found sort of out un, undid a lot of the a lot of the rest of it, really. Uh, oh, it was quite, quite, quite un, uneven. And yeah, I mean, it all wrapped up in quite an insubstantial way with the Doctor sort of just breezing in through the back of this aircraft carrier. Oh, I've done this and I've done that. You don't need to see any of it. You don't need to know anything about that. And you can go home and you can do... What, 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 what? I, I, it was impossible to sort of to feel it. And you know, you got the Daniel Barton character who I thought was really interesting, played by you know, Lenny Henry, who's a big... Uh, Big entertainment figure in this country, much loved actor and entertainer, and I thought he was great. And I thought he was really, really sort of contained. It was a nice performance. That character, the, the motivation and his backstory, that seemed to get sort of lost. I love the idea of what his plot was, but it just seemed to just get dropped. Yeah. So, um, I, I do think you that- think? Oh, sorry. Um, what you said just made me think of something. Do you think that had it been like a longer story arc, like the, instead of? Um, like had the master chased her in two or three episodes through time and space and I'm sorry, through time, you know, where each character, each new, like um, Ada Lovelace or Nora Khan had gotten their own episode. Do you think it would have been a much nicer story that way? I think it would have been a bit more substantial. It's certainly been, been more respectful to the, those two women in particular. Uh, I think that I mean, yeah. I mean, this is the, this is you've just hit the nail on the head, really. The master chases the doctor through time. How cool does that sound? <laughs> it sounds right. amazing. So, how did it end up so dull? Uh, uh, the the stuff where the master first finds the doctor and starts sh- uh, shrinking people with a tissue compression eliminator—that's fantastic. Loved all that. And then it just it just sort of seemed to just seize up like an engine. And I think that what it really needed, in truth. Probably, you know, obviously, yeah, I mean, you, you're right. One way to go would be to stretch it out over longer and give it all a bit more room to breathe. And there the probably is enough material in that two-parter to uh, make up probably half a full season. <laughs> yeah, but no, absolutely, I, I think- because you mentioned Daniel Barton and his story did kind of just end, but they could have gone really far with that. Yeah, he just popped off and maybe he'll be back. I don't know. I hope he is back. This is the thing we, we don't know. We've still got uh, seven of them to come. But, so he might come back. But I have, you know, taken it at face value. It looks like looks like he's not. And I think the other way to it could have gone, 
you know, we've got these were two hour long episodes. Perhaps having the luxury of having the two hours, maybe this would have made a great hour and a quarter to you know you remember how the voyage of the damned mm. an hour and a quarter to an hour and a half a proper feature length story they could have tightened it all up i'd have i'd have lost norcan completely from this story I, I would i'd have saved her for her own episode that her story is so compelling and so heartbreaking and, and so worth telling i mean i'd only heard of her 18 months ago more. um so i think she should have probably been been kept out of it uh, and it could have been a much more concentrated and um, substantial affair with with less in it. I love the idea. I, I like all of this actually. Since since Michelle Gomez took the role, how they've repositioned the Doctor and the Master. At one point, he says to her, "Doesn't he, in, in Spy Four, you know, how else am I supposed to get your attention?" I love that. And and in a sense, that's all the story you ever need. Uh, and but of course, if they'd have done that as a feature length story. It would have, I think, it would have satisfied generally better, but you wouldn't have had that great cliffhanger, and that was that was one of the best. Oh, that's that was, true. You know, mm-hmm. so you, you, you know, you got to weigh it up, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed both uh, both the episodes. I get what you're saying, um, and I think I like now that, especially when you're talking about because uh, Noricon, that's my first experience with her ever. I hadn't even heard of her before, and obviously, I did probably what everybody else did was I Googled her as I was watching the episode. <laughs> yeah. You know. And, um, and like, I love that Dr. Who introduces us to these amazing historical characters. Um, but now like that we're talking about it. Yeah. I think I would have liked her to have her own episode, maybe her own, like how we had the Rosa Parks episode, you know, something like that. Um, it would have been nice to see more of her. And with with Rosa, the doctor, they, they all, they all, um, moved into her world and, and lived kind of lived in a community for a little while. And mm-hmm. in this, you know, the, the doctor and Ada get up off the floor. She walks over to him, pretty much points at her and says, oh, you're so-and-so, so-and-so. And it felt like I was watching educational television for children. There was no, there was no conversation going on. She's pointing at somebody and telling them who they are. I think, well, she knows who she is because she's <laughs> she's her and yeah it just, I, yeah i think well and, and if you've and if you if your story is moving that quickly that you haven't got that much you haven't got the reins of it dramatically then what are you doing telling it whereas the thing with the, the, there's a nice friendship developing between the doctor and ada at that point which i quite liked i ada and also quite, ada was essential character. in the sense that the doctor is traveling with her through that portal thing and she wouldn't have been able to get out of that other reality had it not been for ada yeah, they didn't. I, I thought that was interesting as well. They never really, they never really sort of expanded on that either. It was lots of lots of strands to that that I, I would have liked to have seen expanded, and that, that never came to anything. And maybe, maybe some of it will will get addressed later. You know, who knows? Yeah, that's fair. I've really felt that way. And moving on into the next episode about Orphan Fifty Five. Um, And this was one of the only episodes because I'm a huge fan of series 12 and, you know, uh, I'm sorry, series 11. And um, I really, really enjoyed it. And there wasn't any episodes where I was just like, oh, that was I mean, there's always things in Doctor Who where you're like, that was weird. But in Orphan 55, I really felt like they did a disservice. Like I felt like that one should have been a two part episode because there was so much going on. There were so many characters. There was a lot happening and it was happening so fast that like at the end of the episode i was like wait what happened like yeah i don't get it 
And so what did you think about the Orphan 55 episode? How can I put this? I don't understand how how something that that moves so quickly and has so much dialogue in it, so much to say, so many characters and such a momentum about it can feel so tepid, tired, and and seem so cheap. That's I I, I felt it was um, a big come down from the two episodes that are preceding it, and um, it just yeah it didn't feel substantial for me in any way, and I thought there were good ideas in there as there always are with Doctor Who, and certainly a noble sentiment, but yeah I. This episode hasn't gone down really well out there, as you say. Even with fans of you know of this era, lock stock, and I, I can completely understand why. Um, I um, I went straight to Twitter after watching the episode because I just wanted to see the reactions, and so I kind of you know googled the. Uh, I'm sorry, I went to Twitter and I searched the hashtags for Orphan Fifty Five for Doctor Who just to see you know, yeah. everybody's comments because I feel like Twitter, they just kind of like it's initial reaction, just what people are saying. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I was so surprised to see two very different reactions and at almost equally, some people were just like, wow, that was the scariest episode I'd seen. That was so great. That was amazing. Like my heart was beating the whole time. And then, and I watched it with my children and like my youngest kept running out of the room and running back in because he was terrified of these monsters and then I just saw other people be like what like what's happening and like this is so weird and so it was two very different like I guess views on the episode and I feel where like kind of like you said there were some really good ideas and there was so much of the episode as I like rewatched it I was like wow like that had so much potential this had so much potential this had so much potential and then I felt like all of it was just kind of like wished so hard in and like you said it was a very noble message and I love the idea of that message it felt a little planet of the apes for me when I was like oh this yeah. is earth yeah you right? the uh, that film uh, what's it called the Amiga Man or, uh, or I Am Legend that kind of classic right. sci-fi strings that they were playing on yeah and I get that and I feel like that would have been a really good idea but I feel like it was just too much squished in to you know one episode like it needed to be two episodes at the minimum for it to have worked and i really like the idea of like that older couple and the gentleman who's been trying to propose but i felt like they didn't show enough they just showed it once and then all of a sudden he's gone <laughs> and then the monsters have him and he's talking like normally like he's not even scared but by the way can somebody shoot me it wasn't just, even chill. It wasn't even chilling, was it? It seemed in no. poor taste. Yeah, it seemed playful, and then also the characters with the green hair, Silas and his father. There's a scene where you know the kid storms out because the dad's not listening to it. And I feel like that story had so much potential, right? But when the kid leaves, he's not even freaked out. And as a parent, whenever you don't see your kids and there are monsters outside, you would think the guy would be panicked. But then all of a sudden it just goes quickly to the resolution of, 
oh, my kid's a genius and I should have listened to him when they reunite. But you don't see that like internal struggle of like a parent who just made a huge mistake. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, that was a bizarre relationship as well that they didn't really do enough with. And James Buckley, who played the father, you know, again, a very popular actor in this country. He's appeared in films and big American movies like The Watch. And there he is, this sort of really underwritten part. I don't think he played it very well either. He looked bored. I, the same with the child actor who's recently been in his Dark Materials. He was brilliant in that. He looked bored as well. Right. It, it, just, didn't, it just didn't come together. Nobody particularly looked convincing, apart from, apart from, there's a good thing about it. I thought Tosin Carl was brilliant in this. Yeah. He's a he's a good actor. He is, and I felt that in the in series eleven, somewhere around week four, the guy stopped trying, and he looked. And from that moment on, he looked bored out of his brains. Here, he had something to do, some a lightness of touch to the character, real uh, natural warmth, and a likability. And I'd love to see more of that from Tosin Cole because I do think he's a good actor. He seems a really nice guy, and I, I think he wants to be there. But they have to keep giving him good stuff. Uh, that's very fair. Do you think because it's such a full TARDIS team that it's hard to give them all like something to Absolutely. do every episode? Yeah, that's a major, major problem. And they promised that Mandip Gill would get good stuff to do this year as well, and she hasn't. And she came off even worse in this in series uh, 12. I think she's coming off even worse than the last time, oddly enough. Yeah, and it's so interesting Great because theory. I felt like, yeah, like Tosin didn't get enough last season, and I loved no. the whole season. Like, I have very little complaints, but I did want yeah. to see more of them, you know? And I felt like... Um, it was really nice to see kind of like the companions on their own in Spyfall Part 2 because they kind of had to rely on their own skills and they felt like they each had like kind of something to do, yeah. you know, where they're just not there. Um, and it's very interesting that in Spyfall Part 1 where Sasha Dewan, um, as O says, makes a comment about Graham and says, is he just here for the running commentary? Yeah, yeah. It's and I thought slide. that was... I thought it was hilarious, but also it does speak to the fact that like they don't really, they're just kind of hanging out with the doctor. They're not really doing a lot, which is something that I loved about um, Mandeep Gill in season 11 was that she was always using her like investigating skills. She had that, like, I'm a police officer. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I liked that about her. And you didn't see that so much in this season so no. far. So I would really like her to be more like the police officer in these episodes. I know? think something something needs to give somewhere because there, there, is, there is potential there. There really is. And and I'm sure I, I see a lot of that in, in Mandip Gill under the surface. She's a, a hungry, she's a hungry actress who who I think just deserves better. And they they clearly all get on, and that's lovely. But there there are too many of them. I think it's that simple. Yeah, because even when it's a full TARDIS team with River, you don't have River song there all the time. It's almost always just Amy and Rory. And, and that's then, deliberate. They did that deliberately because they knew it was an it was an overburden. Mm, that's so interesting. I mean, I get that. Like, I understand why that would be like too nice. much to, to do. Okay, so do you have any um, predictions or hopes for the rest of Series Twelve? Yeah, oh God, yeah. I've always got hopes when it comes to Doctor Who. Never uh, never not have hopes. Uh, I hope that I'm focusing on the positive, because you know, I'm here for the duration anyway, and as much as I have concerns about it, I'm focusing on the positives. This For me, this is sturdier than Series 11. It feels 
like Doctor Who as a as a thing as a series is coming up under the surface, and uh, yes, yeah, so I hope that I hope that continues and that the a spirit of adventure. I think that they tried this with Orphan Fifty Five, the spirit of adventure to to mainline so many other Doctor Who stories, you know, because there's quite a, quite a few steals in there and lifts from films, but you know, like Aliens and things like that. But that's you know, Doctor Who's been lifted from films quite a lot, so I don't suppose I can put too many uh, needles in that but yeah that whole spirit of adventure i want that brought to the center more firmly and that it that it begins now now that it's now that it is back on and you know they've reminded the audience what doctor who is about in theory that they can slow it down a touch and some of that frantic quality that i believe is causing these stories to to um, stumble over themselves that that will will slow down, it will lessen, and we can begin kind of what you were just saying, really, about uh, about Tosal and, Ma- and Mandip's characters. We can slow down a touch and just begin to get into these characters' heads and, and hearts, understand. You know, we know what brought them together. I did say, say this on Type 40, so I'm going to repeat myself. We know what brought them together. I want to know why they stay together. And and f- even in Graham and Ryan's case, where in, in the sense they're the only family that one another's got, this is a couple of years on now. They're both grown men. You know, I, I want to. I want to have some sense of who they are to one another, and I'd like to see them argue. I'd like to see them fall out, do some horrible things to them. And uh, in my predictions at the moment, I'm not a great one for predicting. Uh, I like to be surprised, and because I'm nearly always wrong, that's a, a way of <laughs> easy get out for that, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I um, <laughs> and I hate it because I'm feeling. All truth, I'm feeling quite pessimistic at the moment. That last, particularly about that last ten minutes of Spy Four Part Two, uh, I I, um, I feel that the. I, I'm I'm excited by the idea of the Jadoon coming back because I love the Jadoon. The uh, Nikolai Tesla story next time, you know, that's great territory for Doctor Who. And the Cybermen, what little, that snippet that we've seen of the Cybermen in the trailer, they look they look really quite... The trailer looked fierce. fantastic. Yeah, the, I thought the first trailer in particular was, was, was stunning, to be truthful. And so I'm hoping for, you know, that they really tap into the, the nightmarish qualities of the Cybermen there. Uh, but I hope that it's it's not going to continue to be as derivative as it is, I, I, and I I hope that it doesn't. I felt that the message, the way they, it's not the message itself; it's the way it was imparted in Orphan Fifty Five was was quite. How can I put this? Cheap, cheap, and and a little bit of an insult to the intelligence of the audience. And if I'd like them to stop trying to prove their virtue and prove their relevance because I feel that the more that they try and do that, the more irrelevant and out of date they kind of seem. And UK audiences are steadily dropping and it's, it's quite sad to see. So I'd like to see them reconnect with the spirit of adventure, with the characters, some genuine, genuine thrills. And, uh, you know, because all they... Re- they don't need to fill these stories with cursory pieces of continuity and references to the past. You know, as an old fan, you'd think I'd like them, you know, like the contact and things like that with the Time Lords communicating and the, and the heartbeat of a Time Lord. As nice as that stuff is, I'd rather them lose all that and spend a bit more time getting these stories tighter. You know, we, we can all just reach for a Blu-ray or a DVD or, or, or go to BritBox or um, HBO Max or wherever those stories already are. We don't need to be told them again. And I... 
I hate to, <laughs> I don't, I'm afraid this, the story, the storyline of the timeless child as well, I've got, I don't like the hints of where this is going at all. I feel like we've already seen Gallifrey destroyed and brought back. It was only a few years ago. You know, this is when it, it exploded in America, didn't it? At the, around this time, this story was, you know, it was all coming to a head. They, st- they spent 10 years telling it the last time. We don't need to go through it all again. I think it's, a, I think it's very foolhardy. Um, I just, I don't know if Chris Chibnall knows who he's aiming this show at. I, I really don't, oh, and, and I, 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 I think I think it need, he needs to be aware of who his audience are and what they want, what they truly, actually want from Doctor Who. Because if there's not a drastic upturn in the next two weeks, then it'll become certainly in Great Britain, it's going to have a very unstable short-term future. You know, we've only there are deals in place already, which means we sh- we should get at least one more season of Doctor Who, probably with Chibnall and Whitaker. But my feeling is is that they both of them unless it drastically improves in the next fortnight i think they've both got to leave for the for the show to reconnect with its own identity and to uh, really thrive and feel energetic and and to have a, a a proper fresh start again i know that sounds quite pessimistic but <laughs> it sounds a little just, pessimistic it's, it's it's the truth yeah apart from that you know put me down as undecided <laughs> undecided <laughs> Go, well, thank you for that. So, um, just for fun and to be a little more yeah. optimistic. Yeah, go on. So, uh, let me ask you a fun question. Um, the Master Clara, you mentioned some other Time Lords that had their own kind of like, uh, you know, different Tardises. Yeah. If you were the Doctor and you could pick your own Tardis exper- uh, exterior, what would yours be? Ooh, an ice cream van. An ice cream van? Yeah, I like ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Would it play music? Oh God, yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, probably not the Doctor Who theme tune, but uh, yeah, yeah, it would. Uh, probably stuff from the eighties. That's what I usually play through Spotify. <laughs> yes, nice. that would be an ice cream van. Absolutely, hand painted. Awesome. And who would you pick as your companion, real or fictional? Who would you have on board Ooh. your ice cream van TARDIS? Uh, would it a companion from Doctor Who or somebody I just pulled in off the streets? Anybody. Anybody. Oh. Uh, fictional, I'm, real, anybody. I don't. I'm not sure about that at all. Oh, you might have to. Might have to come back to me on that one. Yeah, I can't think. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, well then, before we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? And also, can you please tell our listeners where they can find your podcast and you online? Yeah, well, the last thought I'd like to share with you. Yeah, thank you for listening to all of this. And yeah, I've had a brilliant <laughs> time talking about me and talking about Doctor Who and talking with Monica. It's always a pleasure, Monica. Thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah, genuinely, thank you all for listening. Tem- Temple of Geek is a wonderful website. Like everything that you do, I've heard some of the podcasts, not all of them. I think it's I think it's fantastic. And this is this is very much the spirit of what I like about all fandoms. Not just Doctor Who. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Keep listening to Monica, obviously, because she's nice and knows what she's talking about. And uh, <laughs> come and find me <laughs> if you if you enjoyed hearing me. Go on. Uh, yeah, you can come and find me. I'm the host of Type Forty, a Doctor Who podcast on the Fandom Podcast Network. You can find that on FPNet. We've got a, FPNet.com. Yeah, sorry. 
Sorry, Kyle, if you're listening. <laughs> the boss. Uh, yeah, so it's on FPNet, uh, the FPNet Master Feed. It's on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We're everywhere. So you can find us on all those places. And we're going to be getting our own feed at some point in the future. I produce and host Type 40 for the Fandom Podcast Network. My production house, whether you want to call it, is called The Space Book. I've got a YouTube channel there where I make Doctor Who videos uh, under the banner of Type Over 40, which is sort of like a, a after show, before show, and in-between show to Type 40, where myself and various people from the podcast have more freewheeling conversations and just chat about nonsense. So come and find us on YouTube as well as The Space Book. Uh, yeah, all that's going on. You can come and find that Facebook group if you're a big Facebook user, Type 40, a Doctor Who fandom group. Come and take part in our polls and leave your comments, interact with the podcast, maybe even come on if you like. Always looking for new voices there. But yeah, I'm everywhere, I'm afraid. Excellent. Thank you so much again for coming on. That is going to wrap up this episode of the Temple of Geek podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter by using the handle Temple of Geek. Do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows? Why don't you head on over to templeofgeek.com? There you will find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode and continuing to support us. And thank you so much, Dan, again, for joining us on this episode. My name is Monica, and we will see you next time. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.